Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Nick Charlet Show. And today you're in for another treat. We got uh, Jan Schurmans with us. How's it going, Jan? Everything is all good. About almost nine o'clock in Shanghai. Almost time for a bet, but things are still looking up. There we go. Nine, nine, nearly 9 p.m. in Shanghai and it's 1.30 here in London. So we always work with the time difference, but um, we always make it work. Um, you're also, I guess for the, for the listeners, you're part of the mastermind that we run every month with a couple other people um so time difference is also a big one because you got people in boston and shanghai london so all across europe to continental europe um so just to kick this off i think you know i've given uh, i've given the listeners a bit of a background about you already but what would be great is to just to hear a little bit more about your story because it's so freaking interesting um you know starting with your international background you know like uh that sort of belgian brazilian mix that you bring to the forefront um, and then sort of maybe just telling us a little bit maybe about family dynamics growing up and, and the different countries you lived in and, and how it sort of formed you, you know? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess it all started with, uh, with my grandparents. I come from uh, a family that, that is half Belgian, half Brazilian. My grandparents from the Belgian side moved to Brazil in the 1940s when my great-grandfather decided to shut down his brewery. So they moved to Brazil at that time because there was a massive orange juice boom. And since they were in the, in the beverage sector, it was a good time to try something a little bit different in an industry that was growing quite quickly. So my, my grandfather packed his bags, went there, brought my grandmother, had a few boys, my dad and two others, and they all got married to Brazilian ladies. So this is how I came to be. My mom is a typical Brazilian lady, quite dark skin, actually with a indigenous and also black uh, roots. So I turned out to be somewhere in the middle of the two, kind of half European, half that mestizo mix. Um, and I think that my father's background and what he chose to do for work, um, he decided to follow my great grandfather and my grandfather into the beverage industry. And he worked for the largest orange juice company in Latin America. So at the time, with all the expansions and everything, uh, he was asked to move a lot of times. And his profession shaped my life. Um, from the age of two to the age of 18, I must have moved around 12 times between Brazil, Belgium, back to Brazil, back to Belgium, through Germany, then back to Brazil. It was, it was really a, a whole lot of movement there. And it was all following my dad, who was then following Portuguese cities. And uh, I guess it shaped me to be quite a global trotter. Um, I speak English quite fluently now, and I picked up a couple of a couple of uh, languages down the down the road. Many languages. And yeah, <laughs> you could say that. You could say that. And yeah, so an affinity for a life of traveling and uh, an affinity for things that are new, different, and unknown to me. That's amazing. Um, thank, thanks for giving a bit of an, uh, a background there. And, you know, you say uh, from the age of two to 18, you were moving around a lot. Um, for you, did, at the time, I always think it's interesting because myself, I was, I was moving a lot, a lot like growing up, you know. Uh, for me, it was different countries, but it was the same sort of dynamic, you know. And for you, what do you think, did, did you have a realization at the time of what was going on? Or was it kind of like a, you didn't know any different? I think, well, this is a personal theory of mine. I think that you go through a curve. Um, I know a lot of kids, a lot of people who go through the same cycle, 
Um, they have to move around because of their parents. I think that at the beginning, the first couple of times, it's very easy. It actually is quite straightforward. You're a kid. You can adapt anywhere. You don't have any specific attachments to a place, to friends, at least not until, I would say, age eight, nine. That's when it really starts to get to you, right? When you approach your teenage years, then you become really, really conscious of your surroundings. You really cling on to experiences. You really cling on to a place where you're developing your friends, your surroundings. You're insecure to change that. So I think it's really tough when you make these movements during that period. But then again, you kind of hit the other, the other end of the curve when you were about 16, 17, which is usually when, when you're about to go to university anyway. And then everything is just so easy because you've been through the process a couple of times. You understand that, you know, each time it's hard, you lose friends, but there's a whole world out there waiting for you. So you're very conscious of it, but it's less painful at times. That makes complete sense. And I think I have a similar, I was the same way. I think when I was in South Africa, very young, four, age four to 10, didn't really know what was going on. You know, it was just like having a good time. It was having a good laugh, you know, swimming the pool, like, you know, just enjoying the good weather. Like that, that was it. And then like you say, Germany, Austria, as I got like a little older and those are the cities I lived in. Again, that's where you start to realize, hmm, I'm living like in a foreign country or I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm surrounded by people who speak German, um, you know, but you kind of make it normal. But at the same time, you're like, there is that awareness, that realization that builds in. Um, so something that I'm really keen to go uh, in depth with you today about is, is sort of that story that got you on the path to where you are now, just because I think it's so interesting and I've heard it before. But before we dive into that, for the listeners, could you tell them sort of like sort of that story, like not necessarily what, what happened to get you there, but just the story between sort of high school and university and where you are now, sort of like, you know, where that where that's all taking you. And then we'll dive into sort of the nitty gritty stuff that I love. <laughs> right, of course. Um, as I was growing up, there were a lot of variables, but there were also a couple of constants. Uh, one of the constants for me was tennis. Sports has always been a big part of my life. So wherever I went, I played tennis, competitively, sports. I was always dreaming of getting a scholarship and training to potentially be a professional. And uh, I did that throughout Belgium, Brazil, Germany, my, my whole teenage and my whole youth, essentially. So um, the last move that my family made was in Belgium. And I was still following tennis quite intensely. I was, I was competing. I was kind of ready to start getting on the scholarship bandwagon, uh, applying for schools in the U.S. and everything. And then news came from my father at that time, who had been essentially asked to leave the company. Now, this had a lot of repercussions for my family. Um, life in Belgium is expensive. The life of an international school kid is expensive. You know, a lot of times an annual fee for one kid is as high as the annual salary of a person. Sustaining three kids into this, in that school was, was completely unsustainable. It was impossible. So that kind of kicked off a series of events in my life that led to where I am now. That moment, I decided that I needed to do something about it and not just depend on a potential dream, something that was quite far-fetched, such as getting a scholarship, potentially getting only half a scholarship depending on my dad's money. I knew that my dad was going to bust his ass to, to get us through the, the final two years of high school. So then we could have a better chance of picking the university that we wanted. But I also knew that I needed to take my own destiny into my hands uh, from that moment onwards. So I decided to apply to different universities, relying more on the academic side. 
So instead of going to the U.S. or going to some of the schools in Canada that I had, that I had uh, looked to, to go to, I went to the U.K. I went to the University of Manchester. Now, at the University of Manchester at the time, I was paying peanuts, right? It was as a European citizen, saving a lot of money. It was great. And uh, this was still on the back of this kind of financial distress that my family was going through. So I developed a very, very keen sense of my own finances. So I think that this is one of the cornerstones of my life now is being very aware, very financially disciplined, because essentially I had to budget for every cent that I spent in my first two years of university, which, uh, which made me acutely aware of what to spend on what really matters and you know, what, to, what will give me a good return on, uh, on each dollar spent. And because of that, I also decided that I liked money. So I decided to work early and find tons and tons of ways to make money. For instance, um, setting up events for my, my, my university students, making sure that I'm involved in clubs, doing even clinical trials at a, oh. at a university. Well, you know, it, one's got to get by. Sure. But they weren't for anything. They're were, they were mostly psychology stuff. So uh, I always found them, found them interesting anyway. You wouldn't really tell us. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, this all builds a really, really interesting momentum in my life because I started to not just apply for these things where I could make a little bit extra cash. I was applying for internships. I was applying for, for companies that I knew would give me a solid background for the career that I may want to pursue later. So I did an internship at a beer company. I did an internship at an oil company. And eventually I was given the opportunity to move to Hong Kong for a year as an exchange student. And there I essentially traveled and studied for a year and also did another internship in financial services. So coming towards the end of the university, I had a pretty good portfolio of skills, of experiences that allowed me to get my first job in finance. Now, I was sure that finance was what I wanted to get into for several reasons. Um, I started to like money with all that process that, <laughs> that preceded this. But I also thought it was challenging. It was full of smart people, just like consulting, just like law. And, you know, being in London and the UK, it was, the, it was a clear path forward. So I joined the London Stock Exchange and I, uh, I entered their leadership on their graduate program where I was rotating through different positions, got to spend six months in Italy and eventually ended up in M&A. Um, being in M&A was where I wanted to be, but uh, truth be told, the very first internship that I did at the beer company was what really had got, really got my interest. You know, finance is great, but uh, I caught a bug, or I don't know how to say, but I fell in love with the culture of the company, with everything that that company stood for. And I, I was 18 when I did that internship. So I managed to marry that experience in M&A with uh, an opportunity at this beer company, which eventually brought me to where I am now in Shanghai. Amazing. Amazing. So that's such, a, that's such an interesting story. And I think, you know, where I want to go now is I think that's a great example. Like you explained how, you know, your family went through some financial troubles and it sort of pushed you uh, to make a decision. And I think what's really interesting with your story and why, you know, why, why I asked you to come also on this podcast, because I think it's so interesting, is you used a circumstance, a trigger to make a decision. But in any circumstance, what I always tell people is you have the opportunity to make a decision and you can make an empowering decision or you can kind of let circumstances take 
take, you know, um, things into their own hands too, you know? So, so you need to, you need to be really aware of that. So for you, like, how did, how did you, I guess, like, maybe you didn't really rationalize as such at the time, but how did, how did you manage to use that trigger to, to your advantage, as opposed to saying like, you know, oh shit, like this is really bad. Like, or, you know, maybe I'll get kicked out of international school. Maybe I can't go to the U S this sucks. Like, you know, how did you internalize that? Um, that's a very good question because I think that it's not very evident when you're going through something like this, especially as a 16 year old, where you kind of have to take your destiny and really drive it, really be um, at the driving wheel. But I had gone through an experience the year before, which empowered me to be at the driving seat. Um, just a year before, um, I, even though I was playing tennis, I was quite athletic. I was overweight. I was significantly overweight. You know, for a 15-year-old, 14-year-old, the last thing you want to do is lose a bunch of weight and, um, you know, go on a strict diet. And even though I was competitively fine and I was relatively agile on the court, I was, you know, in no shape or form to, to get anywhere. I didn't like the way I look. I didn't like the way I was performing. I could do a lot better. So I went on an extremely intense diet, put myself through a year of rigorous exercise, uh, the entire regimen, really, really drove my development on that front. So taught myself about nutrition, taught myself about um, anatomy, taught myself about exercise, essentially became an expert in that field and then started to self-experiment. And I had incredible results. I lost over 20 kilos, you know, got the body I wanted became performed better, not just mentally, but also on the court. And that taught me critical lesson. I think the first major lesson in my life, you know, that you can take a circumstance, you can take something that happens to you or that, or a situation and use it as fuel for your fire so that you can strive for progress. And these are completely different circumstances. Sure. You know, financial stress and being overweight, they have nothing to do with each other. But I think it's how you turn a situation that is not optimal, a situation that is tough. Nobody likes to be in financial distress. Nobody likes to be overweight. But it's how you use that to actually develop some skills and not just achieve the results you want, but develop a habit or develop an approach towards problem solving, towards life in general, that is going to be with you for the rest of your life. So that second time I, had, I decided was almost unconscious because of what I had gone through with before. You know, I had decided to take control of my own life before. And this, again, was the same, the same thing. And, of course, I didn't know everything, but things fell into their place more easily after going through it the second time. That's so interesting. And actually, just as a side note, I remember, I remember being in Hamburg in Germany, and you used to play rugby, right? Yeah, I was playing rugby at the time, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, remember, I remember some of the years, cause you always, you, you know, you always came to visit. And I think that's to this day why, you know, we still are such good friends. You know, we always made the effort to see each other for years. And, you know, I remember, you know, from one year to the next or something, because I remember you were playing rugby and, and you were playing one of the, I think you were a forward, right? So at some point, like when you started, so you were one of the, for people, for the listeners, like the forward is the, is the big guy who take, who, who, you know, goes into the tackles with the other big guys, like the front, front of the rugby line and stuff. And, and I remember you coming to Hamburg and you were huge. And then from one year to the next, you came back and, and your physique had changed completely. Like you were, you know, you were like strong and, and you had a good build, but you know, 
rugby forward compared to like you know what you were then when you'd gone through that workout I guess like it was just extraordinary so I remember that too like I didn't know the story behind it but I was like holy shit like there's been a massive change like change is possible yeah <laughs> um <laughs> so that, that's amazing that's amazing and I guess that that would lead me to to another kind of question like with regards to, you know, you talked about when you were at Manchester University, having to manage your finances, you talked about when you were working out, um, kind of managing your weight, um, you know, how, well, first of all, how did, how did you manage those things? So for, for the listeners, what's interesting, I think is also, you know, it's great at, at hearing about those stories because it's like, oh, it's possible. But then one step further is like, okay, actual tactics, strategies, how do you actually maintain habit and I think you are someone that, that they could really learn from um, so I think that that's the first point I'd love to you to talk about like actual you know strategies that you put in place um, and then you know with regards to um, well let's start with that actually let's start with that well I think that anyone who develops the kind of a base around being able to mentalize self-development and all the things that need to go into a process of building habits can do this as an adult who is mature and who, you know, has already gone through a lot of failures and can piece the right things together. Now, this is a different subset of people than what I'm about to talk. I'm talking about the people who are coming into their life as young people who have hit their heads around a couple of times, but haven't really been able to piece everything together quite yet. You know, things are still generally tough because it's the first time you're going through an issue or it's the first time you're going through something. And then out of that, you build a habit that lasts the rest of your life. This is my personal view, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but I truly believe that for you to build a habit that will be with you for the rest of your life from an early stage on, you need to almost become fanatic about it. You need to let it engulf you entirely. You need to be, let it become, you know, almost in your thoughts constantly. So for instance, with the weight, not only I developed a thirst for knowledge around every single aspect, every little detail from exercise to what I put in my body to the way the macronutrients and the micronutrients are helping my recovery and leading to better muscle gain versus, um, I don't know, release of adipose tissue. I became really well-versed in the subject, applied the right methodologies to my day-to-day of course, while I was already trying different things, constant self, uh, self-experimentation until a point when I was going to the gym six, seven times a week, I had tried like seven, eight, 10 different programs in a space of 10 months, found what worked. And then for the year after that, or for the two following years, I knew even, I didn't even have to count anymore. I knew how many calories, how many grams of carb, fat, protein was in everything that I ate. I knew how many calories I had burned by walking to different places. I knew exactly how many sets, how many reps I did last time I went to the gym. It consumed my thoughts. Now, from a place where I had become almost fanatical about it, I developed a stability. I developed a kind of, uh, how can I say, uh, understanding that it's, yeah, a mastery of it. Yeah, that it's almost, that this is only one part of my life and it's a very good part of my life but I need to make room for so much more. And that habit is when me to this day, you know, I still mentalize all those little things, but now it runs in the background. It's the same thing with the finances. With the finances, after, obviously, I was under a strict budget because every penny that I budgeted was money I was going to get or not get, or money that might contribute to me living a healthy lifestyle, paying for my sports, 
being able to pay for books or not being able to afford that. So I was very meticulous. I knew exactly. Huh? Or for a night out. Sorry? Or for a night Man. out. <laughs> or for a night out, you know, um, going for that <laughs> generic beer or a nice little pint of Stella. It's part of it made it different. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought about money a lot. And sometimes it was even kind of uncomfortable because I was like, am I being an asshole by not partaking in some activities because I want to save? It's not within my saving goals. Is it bad that I feel bad about taking a girl out on a date because I know she wants to go to an expensive place? But then what happens, you know, with time passing, that starts to run in the background. I still have a very good macro, very good understanding of where my finances are going. Um, exactly how, uh, if I'm reaching or not, my saving goals, you know how disciplined I am about my money. You know that I care about it a lot still, but yeah. that all runs in the background and I know how to partition fun and how an investment is not just monetary with, you know, an equal and opposite return. An investment can be time, can be money, can be every kind. And I know that money can have an, an effect that is not just, you see straight away going for a meal or going for a movie or going on a trip as long lasting returns which you're not going to see straight away and you only develop to see those things with time with failures and with how can i say as, as you put it very well with mastery amazing amazing and i want to highlight one of these the the strategy that you're you're highlighting here because and 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 let me know if i'm if i'm capturing it correctly you know but i think something i've never heard before and i, I love that you brought it up but it's this notion if if you want to build a habit don't just set the habit Become, you know, it reminds me of Grant Cardone, his book, Boba, Be Obsessed or Be Average. And so kind of this notion that if you really want to take on an, a habit and if you really want to master a, a specific side of your life, become obsessed, become fanatic, as you said it, like really dive in. Don't teeter on sort of the edge and, and sort of like try, like get in there. Like you for your weight, you were like, I am going to learn not only what the best workout is, but cause you could have said that, right? You could have been like, okay, I'll do pull-ups, I'll do push-ups, and that'll be, no, I'm gonna look at what goes into my body, what goes out of my body with regards to the work. I'm gonna look at everything and same for your, you know, same for the money spent. You were gonna look at every detail and also look at the investment side. If I don't spend it, where can I place it otherwise? And what are the long-term ramifications? So like, I think I've never really heard it put that way and I love that. So I just wanted to highlight that for the listeners, just this concept of, you know, if you want to instill a new habit, do research around it, get excited, learn about it, get it, get into it so that it becomes funner. You know, is that, is that sort of what you were saying? Yeah, exactly. You want to be in a position where for everything that you want to have for the long term in your life, you just don't want to be you shouldn't just want to be somebody who takes a thought or takes an approach and adopts it. You want to become so well-versed in it that you can become a critic. They can become a proponent or an antagonist of it. You need to form your own opinions about what is right and what's wrong because that's the only way you're going to sustain your habit. And, you know, to do that, you need to read every side of the argument. You need to read what is, what are the positives? What are the negatives? What is the research that has been done to back it? What research has disproved it? What are the new things that are, are coming in that might be even more relevant and then you know once you become an active player in that dialogue then i think that you have a sustainable habit that will last forever amazing amazing so this takes me to my next question and i think i'm really gonna like this um so I, what i'd love for you is to explain to people because i think it's extraordinary what what you're working on you know these days um just the level you're at and, and you're only 24 right uh coming up to 25 
Um, so super young, but already working with some super high level people. And, and I'd love for you to discuss through your day to day activities. Um, but also with also in mind, I, I'd love also you to talk about, um, so, you know, high school, it was your weight, you know, you weren't happy with your weight. So you, you became obsessed about that fanatical and, and, and you solved that you mastered it. Um, then college was kind of like finances. How do I, how do I master my finances such that, um, I'm fully in control. Um, you know, I, I, I'm the master of my fate with regards to my finances. And then, and then, you know, now you're, you worked at the London Stock Exchange and now you're, you're, you're working in Shanghai. I would love for you to also describe what is it today? So what are you, what is your current or current couple of things that you're, you're mastering, you know? Okay. All right. Um, first of all, with what I work in, um, perhaps just for background, it seems like a really random jump from a financial institution to a beer company. But as I said at the beginning, my family comes from 200 years of brewing as well in Belgium. So it's a very natural step for me. And uh, um, yeah, it's a company that is easy to fall in love with. If I'm you, young. If you have this kind of background. And I'm an um, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was saving that for the end, man. <laughs> this company, I was essentially hired to do M&A. This is a company that has probably the most active M&A player out of, in the world right now. In the past 10, 15 years, they've acquired company after company after company. Um, about six months ago, we just completed the third largest acquisition of all time. We bought the second largest beer player in the world and essentially kind of created, expanded our market. So, you know, I was hired in that excitement of M&A. Oh, let's do more M&A, more M&A will be great. So I'm joining Combinate Love, doing what I love to do, you know, an entirely new location. When I got to China, the story was a little bit different, though. I think that uh, upon joining um, things had slowed down a little bit. You know, China is a, is a market that is very volatile. It goes through ups and downs. So M&A is not always top of the agenda. So where do you place somebody that you hire to do something? Well, you place them in a position where he does a little bit of everything. So for the first six months, I did a little bit of everything, a little bit of commercial finance, a little bit of financial modeling. I did a little bit of M&A, look at some um, craft M&A transactions across um, Asia Pacific. But literally nothing with a lot of focus. And for me, that was incredible because I got to see so many different parts of the business. I got to understand how commercial works. I got to understand how the beer is made and bottled and, you know, labeled. And then how that goes and makes its way through a wholesaler and then all the way through the shelf or through the nice tap that you get your beer from at a, at a restaurant or at a bar. So I got to understand the business. And with all that, I got to craft pretty easy image from album, I guess an interested guy a guy who's the performance side of things for APEC more so it's a I think the connection yes we are back couple couple technical issues between high and London but we're back no problem no problem the the great Firewall of China, right? <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, so I was saying, let, let, me, let me make it short, not to, not to ramble on too much. But basically, now I help the CEO and the CFO to make strategic decisions across the zone. I own the PL 
I make sure that we are hitting our targets, our yearly targets by driving them through strategic decisions on a monthly basis. So I'm sitting at the table with the big boys and that's very interesting because um, it's very daunting. It's a lot of responsibility. My numbers drive decisions that have millions of dollars of potential impact. So it's very daunting, but I'm learning a lot because I, I grow through influence and being around people who have more experience than myself really helps me to, to put myself into bigger shoes and every time bigger and bigger shoes and grow the dream. I'm very excited about what the future holds and these guys offer a very clear example, very tangible example of what I might just be able to achieve in the coming years. So that's, that's more or less for what I do for Shanghai, uh, for uh, the beer company in Shanghai. You had asked, asked a follow-up question, right? There was yeah, so the follow-on question was, you know, you were working on your weight um, in high school, so getting your weight back on track, um, exercising and stuff. Then you talked about your finances, mastering that. So I guess my question was, and I don't even know the answer to that, nowadays, what are you trying to master? Okay, well, obviously I'm trying to master my work a lot. I keep my head down. I have a bit of ADHD, so I often find myself distracted, you know, looking at 10 different things that are complementary to my work, but, you know, I need to juggle them at the same time. So this year I have really, I'm really trying to develop a habit of closing every single gap. So for whatever position I am in, I want to be the best one in that position before I move on to the next thing. So about deep focus in whatever the task at hand is, trying to get away from the ADHD head then you know is on my shoulders but in terms of life uh, uh i think that after the whole financial thing one thing that came into my life was uh the opportunity to travel and that came in a very interesting way i it all started with a gopro i was like i was making a this i was about to take a decision about whether to travel somewhere whether to go to Africa or travel around Asia or, and I had already done some traveling, but you know, it wasn't at the top of my list. And then I bought a GoPro. And after I made that investment, I was like, Oh, that was really expensive. I need to go use it. I need to make some really great pictures now. And like, I need to share that, share it with the world. So I was given the opportunity to do, you know, take three months off and travel around Africa. And that, there I did incredible things. I was skydiving. I was doing backflips out of every possible object that you can imagine, climbing on things. You know, at night, there will be hippos rubbing against my tents. It was like just three months of like adrenaline camping in Africa. And that pushed my limit. I didn't think I could do it. Three months in the middle of the, the African winter, camping through what was nine countries. That developed a, a desire to just push myself in terms of travel, in terms of experiences, in terms of things that are completely out of my control and of my, of my comfort zone that I sustained constantly. I, since that trip, I organized several trips. And, you know, I think that to the, to the person who doesn't know me and who doesn't follow my day to day, who just knows me from Instagram or Facebook, I think they, they imagine that I don't have a job and my life is traveling. It's quite, it's quite the opposite, but you know, it occupies my weekends. It occupies my, sometimes my evenings when I'm dreaming about traveling, what's the next adventure. So I've learned to be a lot more daunting. And I think that that is kind of being contagious towards all the parts of my life. 
and it's increasing my confidence day by day. So positive effects at work, personal, and every possible sphere that I can imagine. That's amazing. And actually, uh, it's great that you um, transitioned sort of into the travel part because that was going to be my next question. Um, Because I think it's so amazing what you're, like I said, 24 and already on the track you're on. You know, uh, we got maybe the next Warren Buffett among us, uh, you lucky, lucky listeners. Nah, but you know, what I think, what I think has been really cool is, is you're definitely working out, you know, what are you working, 100 hours a week? Something like that, like some weeks? Yeah, I, w- I would say so because, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Something, <laughs> okay. something hours a week but what's <laughs> awesome and and okay that kind of shows why you are where you are you know especially your age but what i love is from a young age and and that it'd be great if you kind of went to some of your stories in high school you know you already decided or i don't know if it was high school or university when you first like started the travel for for real but you've always been one to uh go off and and go discover the world and go travel and go and go backpacking and what i love too is you know at this point especially you definitely have the means or whatnot you know to stay at nicer places to you know maybe treat yourself to a five-star hotel but what i love is like you know recently you and i met up in in sri lanka and we were just like you know i don't know if you remember that uh that hostel at um forget it was at the top oh ella or was it ella ella rock or something it was ella yeah 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 yeah. it was was a hostel it was so run down and there was construction everywhere in the middle of and I guess like I would just love for you to talk about sort of that that experience and always keeping it. You're always looking to get the local experience and um, experience the country for what it is, as opposed. And obviously, it'll always be there'll be notions of tourism, you know, of course. But you know, maybe just talking about sort of your, your travels and what has driven you to to discover the world and and to travel and that despite your ambitious you know drive to accomplish your mission you know career-wise too because it's interesting for the listeners to see that you can have both you can travel discover the world and accomplish your dreams you know of course Uh, i think that my desire to as I, i you know of this right that i have a target every year of how many countries i need to visit and i need to reach 100 by age 30 i'm well on track for that that to me is deeply rooted in what I told you about when I become obsessed about a topic, I need to know everything about it. I need to immerse myself into it and really like get to the end. And it's like that for me with travel. I think that I, I'm a dreamer. I see a lot of things, a lot of things that have infinite potential and the earth is a place that can give you so much, so much, so many countries, so many experiences, so many authentic ways to learn ways to learn beyond convention and that that truly inspires me not just to to go and to to say i've been to a country but to go there first of all get the really local authentic experience it does save me some money but you know going through the off the off the beaten track but also to exhaust what the earth has to offer me in terms of at least what I can conceptualize that it can offer me. So it's going to be a hundred countries, but then, you know, my next goal will be 150 and then 200. And then who knows? I, I want to exhaust that sphere as well. I want to have as many experiences there because what truly motivates me is generating wisdom, 
when I am maybe 75 and I am, you know, I have had a soft retirement because I don't think I'll ever retire. And, and you know, I've accomplished some of my ambitions and I'm still working on some other ambitions. I want to be able to sit down with my kids, my, well, not my kids at the age, but my grandkids and my great grandkids and tell them I've done this. These are my experiences. This is what I've gathered. Here's some of my wisdom. I really hope that cross generationally you can take from what I've done and what I've accomplished and what I was able to kind of, how can I say, plant into this family and do so much more than I did. And the only way I can achieve that is if I go so far as to do all those things. And I don't think I would forgive myself if I don't push myself to be, at the end of the day, the wisest person out there who's experimented the most, who's seen the most, who's made the most mistakes. So it's, it's a bit of a convoluted ambition, but it's all kind of culminating into that same, that same hot pot of, uh, of, I just want to be a very wise guy who's seen a lot and who, because of that, can continue to see a lot more. Amazing. I love that. And, and you just touched on, I think that's great, man. And I think it's interesting that you already have the foresight for that. And I think that's what a lot of us forget, um, especially in our 20s and our 30s, that like life is happening now, you know, and I think it's, it's these, these are the years that will matter and that we're looking back, like these are the experiences we're cultivating now. So I love that you're already having the foresight to see that. Um, I guess that brings, you talked about um, making the most mistakes. Um, you know, you want to be that person who makes the most mistakes. And uh, yesterday I actually posted a, a quote by Niels Bohr. It's like, uh, like an expert is someone who's made the most mistakes in one narrow field or something like that. So, you know, with regards to that, um, what is, what has been one of your across the last, like, you know, five, 10 years will, you know, I guess you're not that old, so that's not, you know, as far as you can really go, but you know, what has been your biggest, um, failure and, and something that potentially at the time you're like, fuck, like my life, this is like, this is it. It's done, you know, like, or, or something that was really intense and you were like, this is bad, you know? And so what was that? And then similarly, an example of something like that, that actually became one of your like the thing that formed you in the long run, you know? Okay. Yeah. I, I will have to go quite far back for that one. Um, because not that I haven't had failures recently, I've had tons of failures, but I think you get better at failing and adjusting. Right. Sure. But, um, one that was really, one that was really pronounced in my life was this was back in high school again. I um, had a very particular, it, it was actually the end of middle school, I had a very particular math teacher that, uh, first of all, let me give you a background. I was put into his class by mistake. I was never the most mathematically savvy guy in the world. I was put into his class by mistake because there was a misallocation of students and then it was too late to change. And this was the toughest of the, the mathematics classes. From day one, he told me I couldn't do it. From day one, he said I didn't deserve to be in that class and that for me it was, uh, it was just simply, you know, too much and that I was going to fail. And then I told myself, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm not, I'm, I can do this. I just have to study a little bit more and I have to, to go through things with a little bit more detail. 
but you're talking to a 15 year old kid. Well, what are you going to do? Right. So I went through his classes and the first semester I completely failed. I had never failed anything in my life. Everything had kind of come like a little bit easy to me. And he kept reinforcing my failures and telling me how I'm failing and how I don't need, deserve to be in that class and how I'm going to, I'm not going to be good in maths ever. And that, you know, and that failure led to a bigger failure in myself because I started to believe him. I started to believe him that I couldn't do it and that it wasn't, you know, maths just, it, it wasn't for me until it like, it hit a sore spot and that everything turned around. The second semester, constant improvement, but it gave me just enough of a grade to make it into IB math higher, which is a very tough mathematics subject. It's university level and you can take it at high school. And I completely killed that at that, at that subject. And, you know, it was that initial failure, not only of not being able to do it, but also giving in to somebody who was telling you that you cannot do it until you're at the very bottom of that thought process to then pick yourself up again and take yourself far beyond what you believe was you were capable of. I now consider myself quite, quite mathematically okay. So to me, that was a, a failure I always mention when people ask me because it had deep long-term impact or effect on the way I approach things and on, I think even my mental health, but it's, it's okay. That's a, That's for another subject. <laughs> it's fine. Dude. Well, it's the end. <laughs> Your psychology is fine. Uh, um, cool. That, that's amazing. And I mean, it, it leads me to, I guess we have, we have time for, for a couple more, just a couple more questions. Um, I guess for me, you know, uh, now I've, I've, I've been running my business for, you know, coming up to sort of like coming up to a year close to now, you know, and you know, I, I like, I, I deal regularly with kind of rejection or failure. Cause like, it's just part of the game. Like as you're learning, you're going to, you know, and, and especially if you want your business to grow or if you want your career to grow, you constantly need to be asking for things that aren't warranted you necessarily at your level, you know, cause that's how you grow. You step up and then you kind of figure it out. You know, you say you can do something and then you figure it out, you know, and, or at least that's sort of, that's sort of how I felt. But on that journey, you're also going to get the rejections that are associated with stepping out of your comfort zone, with stretching yourself. And for the listeners who maybe have gone through some form of pretty big rejection in terms of a job or some form of opportunity, or if they're running their own businesses and getting all those no's, you know, before they can get the yeses, I'd love for you to also talk because now you're doing incredibly, incredible things at AB InBev, but I'd love for you, if you're comfortable with it, talking about maybe that, um, the, the, um, the graduate program, you know, that, that you were in or that you applied for, you know, just because I think that's so key, you know, and you have all the success today, but you know, Of course, of course. Yeah, I actually overlooked that. You know me better than I know myself now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was a little too far. That was a little too far. <laughs> no, I was... Um, so I told you guys, um, after that internship at age 18, first internship ever, first year of university, I fell in love with the company. And, you know, I was completely determined to get tons of other experiences. but to eventually get into the graduate program of the AB Bev beer company. 
I was promised it. People told me within the company that I had done well in my internship and I would eventually just be placed upon graduation. And then in my last year of university, things kind of spiraled out of that dialogue. I was, I think the people from HR moved, different people came into my life, other people left that, you know, I had as contacts in the, in the, uh, in that company. So I was essentially told that, no, I had to go through the normal process of everybody else, which I did. I went through every step, every interview. I was very happy with it until I got to the final one, which is, uh, how can I say, which was a, a final stage where you were praised and give people either give you the green light or not. And I couldn't do it. I was sweating. I, you know, the pressure mounted so, so much. The thing that I was sure I was going to get, the thing that I had wanted for four years, all of a sudden just became, just got dissipated. And I, you know, I remember very clearly getting on the train from London to Manchester that day, just like crying, you know, like a deep sadness cry. But then wiping the tears away and just being like, okay, I'm going to take this, I'm going to turn this chapter and I'm going to get something else because I know I can. So I turned that page pretty quickly, but it was a very impactful rejection of my life because it was everything I had stood for. I was going, I was wearing the t-shirt of the company and going to graduate recruitment fairs on behalf of the company to recruit for them. Yet I was rejected. I mean, that was the worst feeling you can possibly imagine. So it took some time, but I realized in the end that, you know, that feeling that I had the, in the first year that I spent with them and the first experience, it was very real and the culture still touched me deeply and everything about it was still great. It was just, you know, the rejection, rejection was just something that I needed to overcome. So upon being given the opportunity to actually rekindle the ties with the company and come in at a pretty decent position in Shanghai with all the stars aligned, of course, with a couple caveats, I took the plunge. And, you know, obviously it's hard to say no to financial services career in London when you are, it's, it's usually a lot of people go for that and people would have a hard time understanding why anyone would move to China. But uh, um, I came and... It has been the most revelatory, the, the best, the, I'm going to say the, the most enriching experience that I have ever had because I've kind of, how can I say, I've gotten out of my cocoon here. This is just me raw being judged by, for my performance with no prejudice. There's no, no pre-expectations. I'm being judged purely on the basis of my work. And the feedback I've been getting has been very positive. The very same person who rejected me in that interview now takes me out for beers here in Shanghai and tells me that he's really proud of me. So, yeah, that one specific failure was very meaningful, but things turn around with enough perseverance and understanding that it's just a page you need to turn. You don't need to forget about it, but it's just a page you need to turn. Um, good things happen when you take the right things from it. Amazing. And I'm, I, I really appreciate you telling, telling that story, Jan, because I just think, you know, sometimes we look at these top leaders and we're just like, oh, everything was smooth sailing from day one. Every, everything they've done, they fucking just, you know, they've, they've mastered, they've just, uh, they just landed in that position because they did this and then they did that. And then, you know, they went to university and, you know, and then they got this opportunity and then, you know, and, and you never stop to think, what do people go through in order to get to where they are? You know, and how do those things form you? And I think, I know for the listeners, you know, 
it's all, it is all those rejections and all those opportunities that come your way that don't necessarily go your way. And then you need to do, make something of it anyways. That's really what makes you grow. And so really acknowledging that, you know, especially the people that, that, that are ambitious, it's through, it's how you anticipate, like, it's how you make sense of your failures that you get to the next stage. You know? So thanks so much for answering that question. Um, we've got probably two, two or so questions left before we wrap up. Um, so one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, um, so when you think of uh, the word successful, um, who's, who's, the, who's the person um, or a couple of people that, that, that come to mind for you and why? Um, I like to keep this kind of answer close to home in the sense that, uh, you know, the people I'm very exposed, pretty much exposed to on a daily basis. The cliche answer would be my dad. I deeply admire him, but, um, I'm going to go with a different answer this time. It would be my current, um, this guy not only is 20 years ahead of where he should be. That's when you said it, your current. Sure. Sure. My current CFO. Current CFO. So yes, he is not only is twenty years ahead. Incredible people around him, and you know he has a very intense, empowering effect on a lot of different people. And what I what I found incredible about this guy is that I told you earlier that we were talking about the shirt with the logo, right? You know, this guy is not afraid to drink the Kool-Aid and to like go deep into every aspect of his life that is important. He is completely obsessed with his work. He's completely obsessed with his family. And he's completely obsessed with developing people. And those are the things that matter to him in the end. It's generating extreme success for him. As I said, you know, he is CFO of Asia Pacific for at age 32, 33. That doesn't happen often at all. And at the same time, he has a very loving family. I re- and his relationship with people around him and with his wife is something I find extremely admirable. So something that definitely I, I want to learn from and I find it hugely successful. Amazing. And if we had to talk um, famous in terms of like people, people that someone that people might know who, who would come up for you in terms of when you think of greatness or success, is there anyone that comes up in that regard? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, let me think about this one for a second. Yeah, I think, think oh, I think there are a couple of people. Well, obviously, um, I always think about this when uh, when Tim Ferriss asks the question, right? Because mm-hmm. this is a question that recurrently comes up in in his podcast, and everybody's always mentioning very famous people who have done incredible things in their life, be that hedge fund managers, freaking authors, and like historical figures, all kinds of people. Man, I. And I admire Tim so much for the simple fact he is everything that I told you about being wise and, you know, being able to hold on and generate wisdom, not only wisdom that you can retain, but wisdom that you can pass 
he's the most successful person at that that I can imagine, and by miles. So in that respect, I think that he's hugely successful. There are a couple of aspects of his life that I'm not sure I would, I would integrate into mine. <laughs> but I, you know, in one way or another, I would want to have that same effect on people and on those around me and on my family as a retainer and as a, how can I say, as a, almost a vessel for, for wisdom. Amazing, amazing. And actually, that doesn't really surprise me. He came up with Tim Ferriss because in a lot of ways, I see a lot of similarities, especially, you know, just in a way for Tools of Titans. I remember in the intro, he talks about the logs, like he used to log everything. And I mean, I remember you talking about how you log like your workouts and your financing and everything like that. And he went, he went all, to the, all the way to the point of saying like the reason why he logged everything every single day and every single month was so that if he ever wanted to go back to a specific weight or a specific like health standard of some sort, he could literally just pick out the log of the time that he was those specific detail and like go back to that, you know? And, and I guess like I could definitely see, <laughs> well, okay, not to that extent, may, maybe, but you know, you definitely have logged in the past. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. to yeah, acquire that wisdom um, and impart it also on others, which, which you're always trying to get back to. So we have one more question left before we, before we jump into that, um, just a few things. So first of all, I really, really uh, want to thank you for coming on the, the podcast, Jan. I want to thank you for your time. You're a busy man, like I said, 100 plus hours or so a week. So it's it's a privilege to have you on the podcast. Um, I also just want to acknowledge you for, for everything you do. Uh, you're a great, great friend uh, to me, but not just me. I think what's what's awesome is you're on a mission. You're on a mission to, to achieve amazing things, but you're always looking around to see how you can help other people, whether that's to pull people up, mentor them, go back to your school, have talks for them in front of 600 people, amazing things like that. You're always looking to, to mentor and to, and to give back. And, and I freaking love that. And another thing, I love how you keep it simple. You know, you're definitely on a high achieving path, but you always, you, you stay true to yourself. And I freaking love that aspect of you. So thank you so much. And I definitely acknowledge you, man. Thank you very much, man. Uh, a lot of the same bounces right back to you. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And for the, for the listeners, if, if they wanted to uh, follow you a bit or, or um, just in, in general, find out more about what it is you do and, and what you're achieving in your life, is there uh, ways they could follow you or, or social channels that they could follow you on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, anybody's welcome to reach me either through, through Facebook or LinkedIn or any of those social websites where you can chat. Um, you can probably find my email on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm always happy to get in touch with people who are interested and who, who are also trying to do cool things. Um, if you ever happen to be on the same path as me while I travel, you're more than welcome to tag along as well. There we so, go. you know, reach out if, if you want. There we go. And, and I can attest to that. This guy's always up for, for hanging out when he's on his travels. So very chilled guy to have around. Um, cool. So, so that is amazing. And this has flown by so quickly and I could literally, you know, I could spend all day talking to you and, and we do talk a lot anyways, but um, I guess that takes us to, to the final question, man. And um, yeah, so the final piece for the listeners you know, you've been, you've been through a lot. You're achieving a lot today. Um, you know, if you had to impart three, three pieces, you know, you, you said you talked a lot about desiring to acquire wisdom. So, so far in your life, what are the three 
top pieces of wisdom you would like to leave the listeners with such that they can achieve success in their lives? Okay. Um, the first one would be get that GoPro earlier. <laughs> Meaning that, you know, learn to be daring, put yourself out of, out of your limits early. You know, there's no need to postpone this kind of thing. It's a, it's a contagious thing. And if you are already doing that, there's no reason why you can't go a little bit farther because there's always a little, little bit more beyond the horizon. Um, the, sec the second thing would be trust that there are gray areas. Things are not just necessarily black or white. You know, learn to apply judgment with, uh, with I don't know, with wisdom or with, with uh with care because uh people are different circumstances are different and you know i think that one of the byproducts of being wiser is that you you learn to look at things different ways and be more flexible about different approaches different ways to perceive the world so embrace the grayness in things and i would say Drink the Kool-Aid, you know, whatever you're doing in your life now, don't be afraid to throw yourself into it. Pick, pick one aspect of your life and really balls to the wall, get going, learn everything about it and see the results. You might just be delighted with your ability to pick up things and to, to process that information into something that is useful to you. Amazing. So pick up the GoPro. Um, things are sometimes, so pick up the GoPro, experience things, get out of your comfort zone, explore the world. Uh, things are, things are sometimes gray. So don't always be black and white because like you said, people change, experience, uh, circumstances change. So, so, uh, the way you made a decision before might have to change given the given circumstances. Um, and finally, uh, don't be afraid to drink the Kool-Aid, um, and to experience that side of things too. So, that is, that is awesome. And I think we have a wrap. So, uh, Jan, thanks again, uh, for being on the podcast. I'm going to add, um, your details, your Facebook details and, uh, you know, your, your email and stuff, whatever you, you said, um, they could follow you on. I'll put those in the show notes so people can get in touch. Um, and yeah, I guess the, the last thing uh, remains to say, uh, have a good evening. <laughs> Thank you very much, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I'm always happy to, uh, to do things like this again hopefully uh hopefully you'll uh i'll have more opportunities to come back on your on your podcast once you have two billion subscribers there we go there we go two billion working towards that right now yeah definitely man round two at some point would be good amazing Thanks together, again, man. Man. take care buddy see you later bro bye-bye